Good evening. It is good to see each of you. If you are visiting with us again, we welcome you. If you will, be open your Bibles to John, the second chapter. And the text for tonight will not be on the PowerPoint. Uh, other passages will be. If you want to be reading along with us uh, in your pew Bibles, that will be page 939 in your pew Bibles. Uh, or John, the second chapter. We've had a wonderful week as a congregation. God has blessed us richly. Just a few that come to my mind as the reaching the top had a wonderful outing with a great uh, turnout. And some of the uh, visited or came for the first time, I believe, on some of their gatherings. And that was Thursday. Uh, the trunk or treat was a great success. Uh, last night for our youth and also many from the community came and that's always good. And in making all of that take place and the other things that took place this week. Meals on Wheels takes place every week and a ladies' Bible class and so many good things. Let's just make sure that we're thankful for them, that we're using them to our advantage so we can grow spiritually, and then also that we're participating in serving in ways so that we can benefit the lives of others also. Tonight, we address a passage that is somewhat difficult to address from some standpoints. And so, let's go into it with an open... months and even year had been knowing that there's going to be a big wedding, knowing that they're going to have to prepare for that big wedding feast. You can imagine the months of preparation that have taken place because you didn't run down to Kroger's last minute and buy all of these things for the feast. Months of planning would have taken place to make sure that there was enough beverages, enough foods, enough things that would be expected at such a feast. And then, for any of you that have hosted such a get-together, the unthinkable happened. What happens if we run out? In their day and time, you didn't run down to Kroger. What are they going to do? Verse 2. Now, both Jesus and His disciples were invited to the wedding, and when they ran out of wine, the mother of Jesus says to Him, They have no wine. Jesus said to her, Woman, what does your concern have to do with Me? My hour has not yet come. And his mother said to the servants, Whatever he says to, to you, do it. Now there were set there six water pots of stone, according to the manner of purification of the Jews, containing twenty or thirty gallons apiece. Jesus said to them, Fill the water pots with water. And they filled them to the brim. And he said to them, Draw some out now, and take it to the master of the feast. And they took it. 
when the master of the feast had tasted the water that had been made wine and did not know where it came from, but the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom. And he said to him, Every man at the beginning sets out the good wine. And when the guests have well drunk, then the inferior. You have kept the good wine until now. This beginning of signs Jesus did in Cana of Galilee and manifested His glory, and His disciples believed in Him. After this, He went down to Capernaum, He, His mother, His brothers, and His disciples, and they did not stay there many days. Was the wine that they drunk an alcoholic beverage? And were they well drunk to the point that they were drunk? And did Jesus see this party and this get-together and make Himself a part of it? And then when all of the alcoholic beverage was consumed and they were well drunk, decided what this party needs is some more kegs. We need some more alcoholic beverages. Hey, how about somewhere between 120 and 180 more gallons of it? Yeah, let's do that. Something doesn't ring true to that in my ear. When we finish this lesson this evening, we'll look at some principles that just could not allow that to be the case. But still, what do we do with the content of this passage? We can't allow a principle to just completely do away with what has been directly said. Well, what has been directly said? Note some misconceptions that individuals have had as this passage is studied. And I'll be honest with you. If you just breeze through on the surface of this passage, it is a challenging passage. I don't present this today as if, hey, this is easy to understand. Everybody ought to understand this. But let's study it together and let's work through a few of these phrases together. Here's some misconceptions that we're going to view and we'll take the time to look at these one by one. The first thing is the word oinos. Some have said that this word, which if you were here last Sunday and especially Sunday night, we've talked in depth about some of these words, and so if this topic interests you but you were not here last Sunday, to better understand this lesson, get a tape of last week and put the two together and it'll work right in line together. Oftentimes this word is used to indicate alcoholic beverages, but not always. And the context is what has to be weighed out. So when people look at this and say, well, now this is the word for alcoholic beverages, that's not always the case. Number two, some have said, well, the Jews didn't know. And of course, if you say that, you'll have to throw Jesus into that same category. They didn't know how to prevent grape juice from fermenting and turning into wine. Many of you may have heard that. Now, before we get there, let's just note this. If you took a bottle of grape juice and you set it back in the closet long enough, is it going to become wine or is it going to become mold and sour? Let's think about that. The third thing is when he said, the master said, this is good wine. And then talked about that that usually comes out first and then the latter wine being that that is not as good. What is meant by all that terminology? Because in a party setting, oftentimes the good wine, the good drink, in many people's minds in a party setting, immediately the association is alcohol with that kind of description. 
And then especially when it's linked there to the fourth thing, well drunk. If it was good wine, well drunk, doesn't that imply intoxication? Let's look at some of these things. The first, let's go back to the Greek word. When we look at the Greek word here, it is a generic term. And if you'll notice in Ephesians, the fifth chapter, it's on your screen there, Ephesians, the fifth chapter, just the reference to it. And you remember that that is where they were not to be filled with excess of wine, but instead to be filled with the Spirit. Definitely, that's where the word is used to refer to alcoholic content. That was dissipation. That was sensual uh, pleasure. That was sin. So definitely, that's not referring to just grape juice. That is referring to an alcoholic beverage. But yet what's interesting is the Septuagint, which even the apostles would have used from the Old Testament. In other words, that was the Old Testament translated into Greek. You remember last week we looked, and let's advance one screen. Last week when we looked at Terush, you remember this is a Hebrew word used in Proverbs, the third chapter, where he says, So shall thy barns be filled with plenty, and thy presses shall burst out with new wine. And that new wine was the fresh wine. In other words, it's fresh juice that is pressed out. It's immediate. There's nothing fermented about it. There's nothing of an intoxicated level or content about this. That word was that.
line and sinker. It has to be true. It doesn't have to be true. The word here could just as easily have been fresh grape juice as alcoholic wine. The idea here that, that it's six months after harvest, the following verses from this passage we just read lets us know that. Six months after harvest, so it had to be wine. No. No, it didn't have to be. Now let's consider a third thing. And that is, why did he say good wine? Remember just a moment ago when we talked about filtration? We talked about when you begin that first press of the juice comes out. Any of you that have been around things of an agriculture nature, this is going to register so easily with you. If you haven't, I don't know how easy this will be to register. But any time you're producing
sets out the good wine, and then the guests have well drunk, then the inferior. The word good and the word inferior there has to do with comparing the same. All right, that's all that word means, or those two words mean in the original. In other words, the good is being the better when you compare the same. And that that is inferior is the least quality when you compare the same. Now, coming from this point and into the next point of well drunk, I want to suggest to you that some translations make this passage a little bit harder to understand. In other words, in the New King James, we simply are referring to quality as you would refer anything to quality. But now let's think for just a moment. How would social drinkers refer to the quality of alcoholic wine? Would sound a whole lot like this, wouldn't it? Everyone brings out the choice wine first. And then the cheaper wine, after the guests have had too much to drink, but you have saved the best till now. That could be misleading. Is it an accurate translation? I suppose that the best would cost the most, and the least quality would be the cheap. It's interesting to note that the chosen words were that that even today in restaurants would define alcoholic beverages. Again, I'm not saying that it's a wrong translation, but it's very misleading. And then, especially as we go into the phrase where he says, have had too much to drink. Now, if you're looking in your Bible, I want you to note, in the New King James... It's going to be the word guest in verse 10. And in your Bible, it's going to be italicized because that subject is added to the original text. I want to read this now, the New American Standard. And he says to him, Every man serves the good wine first. And when men, and notice in the New American, men is going to be italicized because it's been added. When men have drunk freely, then that which is poor... In other words, the quality of the drink, the poorer drink. You have kept the good wine until now. As we think about the phrases, freely drink by the New American Standard, by the King James, the phrase is going to be, have well drunk. And then the New, the, uh, New International Version is going to take liberty to say, have drunk, and have drunk too much. You see, that translation alone implies drunkenness when you drink too much. Does the original text say individuals have drunk too much, or does the original text say when much of the good has been consumed, then you bring out the poor? Because the subject of the guest is not even in the original text. The emphasis can't be upon the individual's drinking. The emphasis has to be upon the amount being consumed. And so when the good is served, is this man's reasoning, the master's reasoning to the, bride, to the bridegroom, when the good has been consumed, has drunk well, 
well drunk, then, then the poor quality. Is it splitting hairs? Maybe. But yet, I think it's very important to note when a word in the original text is not there. When translators choose to add the word, has it been a word that was a well choice, a good choice? I don't think in this case it is. Because the emphasis is not upon those drinking. The emphasis is upon the good already being consumed. Let's complete this lesson by talking about the moral problem that this presents if someone says, you know, I think this really is an alcoholic beverage. I really believe they were drunk. And I really believe that Jesus produced more of that same alcoholic beverage except it was only better. And that he would add to their state of drunkenness. Keep in mind, Jesus lived under the old law. The new law didn't come into effect until Christ died upon the cross. We studied last week about the serious warnings out of Proverbs, the 23rd chapter. In Proverbs, the 23rd chapter, you can begin reading at verse 30 and 31. And the warning is to not linger long at the wine. Those who go in search of mixed wine, do not look on the wine when it is red, when it sparkles in a cup, when it swirls around smoothly. Remember last week we talked about the fact what God said under the Old Covenant. God said, don't stay around it, don't look for it, and don't even look at it. Now, would Jesus create a substance that he, because he is God, had condemned years earlier. Friends, we've got to work this out. Everything I've said up to this point, it's not nearly as important as what we're talking about right now. Proverbs, the 20th chapter. We looked at that last week. Now, Jesus said, because he's God... Jesus said, wine is a mocker, strong drink is a brawler, and whoever is led astray by it is not wise. Would Jesus create a beverage that He's already said creates mockery in the lives of individuals, and if anybody drinks it, they're being led astray? Well, they haven't been led astray enough. Let me lead them some more astray. Would He do that? He had to live under every law. As a matter of fact, Jesus made a pretty big deal in various passages about saying he didn't violate one passage. And the expression of speech we would use is dot the I's and cross the T's. He kept them all 100%. Well, Habakkuk, the second chapter in verse 15 says, Woe to him who gives drink to his neighbors, pressing him to your bottle, even to make him drunk, that you look on his nakedness. Of course, this is a passage where Habakkuk is being... He's challenged God in the first chapter. Why is Judah suffering all this and all the wicked are being exalted? And he says, I'm going to go up on high and I'm just going to wait for your answer, Lord. And the Lord comes back in the second chapter, beginning of verse 5, and he says, I'll give you my answer. Here's the woe that the wicked people are going to suffer. And so he begins listing several of the sins that the wicked people do, and they're going to suffer consequences because of it. And he says, one of the wicked things that wicked people do is they give drink to their neighbors to make them drunk. 
And you remember last week, we talked about in the scriptures, the idea of sensual sins and drunkenness going all throughout the scriptures. And this is another passage where that's true. As we think about that, I want you to also think with me. In Hebrews, the fourth chapter, we see in verse 15, in Hebrews, the fourth chapter, in verse 15, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. It's a sin to be drunk. It's a sin to be a stumbling block for your neighbor to be drunk because of your wine. It was a sin in the Old Covenant, the same in that area as it is the New Covenant. And so here's bottom line, and I don't know any other way to deal with this. If Jesus Christ created an alcoholic beverage for those that were already drunk, you and I don't have a Savior tonight. Because He's not perfect. He sinned against the very law that he lived under. The Lamb of God had to be a perfect sacrifice or we have no sacrifice. That's why we either have to conclude what we did tonight or the very core of our religion, Christ, a perfect sacrifice, doesn't exist. Let's conclude by noticing one more thing out of John, the second chapter. What was the purpose of this miracle? Did you notice there in verse 11, this beginning of signs Jesus did in Cana of Galilee and manifested His glory. And His disciples believed on Him. What would have been manifested? Jesus would have been doing a miracle for a bunch of folks that were already drunk. Or what would He have manifested if He was creating an alcoholic beverage for those that were almost drunk, but they weren't there yet, so let's give them 150 more gallons. Friends, He would have manifested a lot, but it wouldn't have been the glory of God because that violated the law of God. And so we look at the passage. The passage definitely allows for this word to be either alcoholic content or not. The context demands the answer. Could there have been grape juice six months after the harvest? Absolutely, no doubt about it. What does the word, when it says good and poor, is that talking about a grade of alcoholic beverages? No. Those were simple words to talk about anything based upon a measure comparing it to the same. So is this grape juice where you say it's better grape juice than that that served last? Or is it an alcoholic beverage that is better served in comparison to that which is served last? Or vice versa. Drunken. By definition, it means causing intoxication, or well drunk. In other words, referring to a measure of the drink. You see, all of those, all of those leave 
this up for discussion. What's the nature of our Lord? We describe the nature of our Lord, and all of these will be defined tonight. As we think about not only the nature of our Lord, we think about our own nature. Is our nature more like us or more like God? Tonight, if you've not taken on the nature of Christ, this would be a wonderful opportunity to put Christ on in you and put you on in Christ. If you haven't been baptized into Christ for the remission of sins, we'd urge you to do that tonight. Being a penitent believer, confessing that He is the Son of God. Maybe you have been baptized into Christ and things have separated you from God, and tonight you want to remove those barriers, that guilt of sin, and be forgiven and come back to Him. Tonight, if we can help you in any way, come as we stand, as we sing.